Hello, fellow friends, family, degenerates, and welcome to another edition of Caged Wisdom MMA. My name is Josh, and I am your host. Also have Buck Slurf, MMA nerd on, who is our co-host now. So, Buck, give a, a quick warm introduction for us. Hey, everybody. I am officially co-hosting, and I'm figuratively on the edge of my seat with excitement for this. For this weekend? Is that, I'm let's stoked. Let's, let's finish I'm, that thought. Yeah. Uh, for this weekend, yes. Yeah, for, this, <laughs> for this podcast. For yeah. this For everything. Card. For everything. For UFC uh, 280. UFC 280. That's what we're going to talk about. I didn't do the tagline. We've got a new tagline coming in where we give you all the fights, breakdowns, and picks in 30 minutes or less. And this time we're going to stick to it because I am sick and tired of not uh, sticking to that like I said I would. So I want to be a man of my word. With that being said, we're going to jump right into it. We're going to focus mostly on the main card because that's where most of the interest lies, uh, at least at this point. We're not necessarily just a, a betting and gambling picks. We like to break down the fights and go over the fight matchups that are going to be the most interesting to you, uh, whether you're a better or a casual fan or someone that just loves the sport in general. Uh, UFC 280 is an absolutely unequivocally stat card. It is by far the most um, stat card of this year. It's probably the most stat card I've seen in the last year and a half that I can recall, at least at this point. I'm sure there's others that come to mind. But uh, if you're not into this one, then you, I have, uh, I have to apologize to you. You are not an MMA fan because there is this is stacked top to bottom with talent. So what we wanted to do is go through one undercard fight that we find really, really fascinating. I think everyone's going to know which one it is. And then we're going to go break down step by step each of the five main event fights or uh, main card fights and then spend a little bit more time, obviously, on uh, on the main event and the co-main event. So we're going to kick it off by talking about Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady. Bilal Muhammad is sitting at plus 120. Sean Brady minus 140. Buck, I'm going to let you go ahead and take this one away. Go for it. So, Sean Brady is an undefeated grappler out of Philadelphia. His last win was over Michael Chiesa, who was the Ultimate Fighter 15 season season 15 winner. Um, really good smothering top pressure. Really crafty on the ground. I like his jujitsu. His hands are serviceable. Um, strong, heavy hitter. Um, bobs and weaves in ways that I'm that I like somebody to move while they're standing and, and, and trying to close distance. Um, am I completely sold on him? No. Am I, but I am impressed with him. I, I, I did like what I've seen um, before beating Damian Maya. He fought or before beating um, Michael Chiesa. He fought uh, another grappler who I can't remember off the top of my head, but he's he's been out grappling grapplers um, since he's been in the UFC, 15-0. and 0. Um, h- However, um, he has been out grappling grapplers that aren't quite so good as Bilal Muhammad, who it really is a sleeper in a division that has been kind of full of sleepers. Um, I mean, the champion at 170 pounds right now was a dark horse up until the very last minute of his of his title fight. Um, He's talking Bilal about Muhammad. Israel Adesanya, by the way. Uh, no, no, excuse me. Um, uh, Leon Oliver. Edwards. Leon Edwards. Oh, my God. 170. I just blew all my, I just blew all my credibility right then. Fuck. <laughs> That's all right. Um, 
I think that um, Bilal Muhammad just has uh, just a, a dogged pressure. Um, I don't think he gets taken down um, in the same way that Brady was able to get Chiesa down over and over again. Um, he really doesn't settle on the bottom. He's moving as soon as his butt hits the mat, uh, and he's more often than not pushing forward and initiating those grappling exchanges. Um, all his striking is to set up powerful double legs that he can just drive his feet through, charge all the way across, and uh, ram his opponent into the cage. Um, I, You know... Um, yeah, Sean Brady, the best things that I've seen him do are turn um, striking exchanges into grappling exchanges. He baits body kicks and body knees in the clinch um, and drops right on them and uses them to bring the fight down to the ground. I don't know how well trying to initiate ground exchanges is going to work for him in this. I think we're going to see Sean Brady lose his O in this one. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with you on that. So this is another case, and there's several examples through the entire card where we have fighters that have a lot of publicity, a good good name brand recognition, but they haven't fought a lot of talent in the top 15. And I believe that Sean Brady is one of them. Now, I was listening to a podcast uh, by Chael Sonnen recently, and he was talking about you know weird strength, right? And And Sean Brady has what they call weird strength. Not very many people have it. But they're so strong that even technique oftentimes can't overcome it. Uh, that's that's obviously going to be a feather in his cap. Bilal Muhammad is a really good wrestler too, though. But what I like about this, Sean Brady, he's very muscular. And what happens when you have a lot of muscle? It takes a lot of resources, takes a lot of oxygen, takes a lot of gas. And even though it's a three-round fight, there's always the opportunity to wither if you're going too hard. And when you're wrestling, that's by far the most taxing part of any you know, aspect of MMA, especially when you're trying to get takedowns. And I think that Bilal Muhammad is good enough with a good enough, I guess, counterpoint to his strength, which is going to be Bilal Muhammad's uh, cardio. And I don't see him getting taken down. I see there's going to be some exchanges up on the fence. I think that Bilal Muhammad's uh, striking is a little bit crisper than Sean Brady's, uh, you know, but overall, I think it's going to come down to uh, not conditioning, but but gas, gas tank, right? Because I think they're both obviously very well conditioned, but it's going to come down to gas tank. And I think Bilal Muhammad, um, he is criminally underrated in almost every matchup that he gets into, right? He's always supposed to lose, and then he's always pulling out the Ws. I think Sean Brady hasn't faced anyone quite like him yet, and I think he's going to take his first L. We are in agreement on that. Sorry, Sean. Yeah, sorry, buddy. <laughs> All right, next one, Caitlin Chikagian versus... Nailed it. Is it Manon or... Menon, Menon Fioro. Menon, Menon, I think it's Fior. 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 Menon Fior. French. French, very French. Let's go ahead and take that one away. Well, so Menon Fioro has not lost in the UFC. Menon Fior has not lost in the UFC. Um, I was... Google, uh, looking up their stats side by side, punch, uh, striking accuracy, output, takedown defense, takedown accuracy, all those things across the board. Uh, Fior has much better stats. Just every single category, her stats are much higher than Chikagian, but um, that just comes with fighting much lower ranked talent. 
than Chikagian. Uh, Chikagian has fought pretty much everybody in her division, um, and even some outside of it. She's just been much more tested. She's um, this is really important. Uh, Mental always fights on the outside. She's got great sidekicks, great low kicks, fights really long, and all of her opponents. Menon is five foot six or five foot seven, and all of her opponents have been shorter than five four. I can uh, maybe like one was like a couple inches shorter, but most were much much shorter than her. And Chikagian is five foot nine and also fights out at range, um, pretty much exclusively. So I think this is going to be different than anything else Fiora has had to do. Um, I don't know if she's going to have the same success that she's had in the past because she's going to have to, she's going to be at the end of Chikagian's range before she's in her own. Um, what Fiora does when she needs to close distance is she punches really well in combination. She does this karate style blitzes sort of like Wonder Boy does. Um, but Chikagian's got a counter for that. Um, when she gets pressured too much, she's really good at ducking her head and she smashes right into a, a clinch. She's not afraid to like initiate a full on collision, uh, and start landing knees and, uh, landing one or two punches before shaking her opponent off and then resuming her striking out of range. So I think that despite having better striking stats and better grappling stats, I think Chikagian's physicality, her reach, and the strategies that she uses to deal with people trying to close in that distance are going to be a lot more developed uh, and they're going to be pretty difficult for Fior to overcome. So I'm going to take Chikagian by decision. Okay. That that's interesting. That actually, you're making me somewhat change my mind a little bit based on that assessment because of the height differential and the fact that they're both fighting at range. And Shikagian's got a really good counter for for the blitz by you know she presses up against the cage and she she gets the clinch in. And um, but that being said, you know I, one of my rules to to betting MMA is you know the veteran gatekeeper is is by far the most. Uh, uh, dangerous thing for the shiny new up-and-comer, which I would consider Fior at this point. However, I also mentioned the eye test. And the difference that I see between Chikagian and Fior is Fior's more polished. She's quicker. She's got better combinations. And I think that because they're both going to be fighting at range, there's going to be a lot of you know darting in and out. And I haven't seen Chikagian utilize reach in any way that I would consider significantly advantageous at that point. And I think when you're small, you're fighting a, what I feel is a better striker, uh, without a significant takedown and submission game. I don't see this going the way of Chikagian because of that. Um, I just think that Fjord is going to be a little bit faster, a little bit slicker, a little bit better footwork. And that two inches isn't going to make a damn bit of difference at the end of the day. Uh, because she's going to set all that up with her footwork and her combinations, which if she was fighting a wrestler, no, I, I wouldn't believe that, but she's not fighting a wrestler. She's fighting someone that strikes too. So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to take uh, Manion or Manion, whatever, Manion Fiore at minus 200, and you're going to take Caitlin Chikagian at plus 170. Yep. All right, we're trying to stick to our time frame right now here, everybody. So the next fight, we're going to jump right into it. Benil Dariush versus Matutz Gamrot. Yes. Um, 
This one is going to be awesome. Every single fight I have seen. Absolutely every, Yeah. Every single fight I have seen out of Mateusz Gamrot has been incredible. He was the KSW lightweight champion before he came over to the UFC. He was undefeated. He's only lost once in a super close split decision to um, Roman Delizze, I think, who's another mm-hmm. striker out of Georgia. Um, I think Gamrot strikes better on the feet. Um, than Dariush, he uh, there. So their grappling really? is different. I'm surprised you say that. Yeah. So well, you know, I've seen Dariush get a couple of knockouts, but I, I, I you know, like a, a spinning back fist knockout against Scott Holtzman does not a brilliant striker make. I think you know. Um, I mean, certainly um, Dariush has got more pop. Like he hits really hard, um, but I think that comes from like big heavy swings i think gamrod strikes a little bit cleaner uh, and that i think that translates onto the ground as well um Duryush is very much position first when he gets a takedown he secures it he holds um, and focuses on controlling a person on the ground against the cage and then starts to work his striking game on what the what about sarkurian did you watch uh, that Sarukian, Sarukian was, I'll tell you, we're, I'm going to bring up Sarukian again when we talk about the main event. Um, that man one of, is One of the most amazing grappling fights I've ever seen, by the way. Incredible. Uh, Armand Sarukian is going to be lightweight champion of the world in three years. I, I mean, it, incredible. He's so young. He moves so fast. Everybody watch Armand Sarukian. Um, back to Gamrot. I, I, what I've seen from him is he does not settle. And this was has happened all the time in his um, most recent fight against Sarukian. Um, when he's in poor positions, he is moving way before that position gets settled. He doesn't give anything up. Mid-takedown, he will Gramby roll to get out from, from a powerful single leg. He's bucking his hips he's twisting he is trying to dig underhooks he is always moving on the ground and unlike Dariush I think he he's uh, more willing to take strikes um, or take opportunities to strike rather uh, in the on the ground when he is spinning around you know if he stuffs a shot and he's spinning around um, to the opponent's back he's always ready to land one or two quick little short shots into the side of their head or into their ribs. He's never not striking and never not moving. It's a real joy to watch. Um, and Darius, don't get me wrong, is also really a really impressive grappler, but he's um, a lot slower, um, yeah. but probably Everywhere. more methodical is what I would say, rather than just slow. Um, no, he's not slow, but yeah, he, he's very much uh, methodical in his approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, when I look at the the youth advantage that that Gamrot has, and the fact that he is able to get out of positions that you know where I, I believe Darius tends to excel when he gets people flat on their back, and he's you know going for like an arm triangle or, or something along those lines, getting the back. I don't think that Gamrot is going to allow that to happen because of his constant movement and an ability to like you said not settling for a position uh, when it comes to the overall striking between the two of them uh i mean gamrot looked pretty good you know in his last outing i expected him to lose that fight to be completely candid with you 
I, I always hate going against Darius because he's he's proved me wrong so many times. And that makes me nervous. And again, I'm going against that, you know, the shiny up and comer versus the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper's got the tricks of the trade. But a lot of times that's based on getting the opponent tired. And I that's not gonna happen against Gamrot. You know, the lights are not gonna be too bright. Um at this point. So I'm going to have to agree with you on that one. I'm going to take Gamera at minus 190. I, I think those odds are in line with the expectation. Yeah. Definitely. I don't think Gamera's going to get the finish, though. I think he's no. going to piece him up. I don't think Dariush is going to be able to get those takedowns. He likes, he gets most of his takedowns on either exhausted stationary targets or when people are trying to close a distance on him and he yep. ducks under and gets onto their hips. I don't think those are going to work quite so well against a moving target like Gamrot. Person that can dictate where the fight takes place always has a significant advantage too. So, all right, next fight. Peter Yan, minus 265 versus Sean O'Malley at plus plus 225, excuse me. And these are all DraftKings odd lines as of this evening on Wednesday night. So these are, as we just pulled these off about 30 minutes ago. Uh, I know this is a really, really exciting fight. And I'm I'm really excited to see Sean O'Malley tested at the upper tier. Uh, why don't you kick us off, though? Uh, this would be one of the most incredible performances in Sean O'Malley's career. And I feel like I say that every single time he fights. Every single time Sean O'Malley's in the cage, I say, wow, that was his, that was the most impressive thing I've ever seen. He has gorgeous striking. He moves so well on the outside. He, what he doesn't do is interesting is he doesn't faint a lot. He doesn't faint his strikes. Instead, he just like, he never hits the same target twice. He attacks every single level from every single angle almost constantly. He catches people while they're coming in. He extends his combinations and hits them when they're going away. He chops at the low legs. He body kicks. He body punches, knees to the body, elbows to the head, and looping punches, straight shots. What he lacks in feints, he makes up for in just an insane variety of strikes. Mm -hmm. Um, What he needs for that insane variety of strikes is a lot of space. Yep. Sean O'Malley needs to be on the outside, um, and when he's not, everything he's doing is in service of getting him back to the center of the cage, um, or back um, out into the open, so that he's got the space to land his strikes um, and stay out of stay out of danger. So, Piotr Jan is kind of a slow starter, um, notoriously he, slow. Yeah, he takes his time and gets his reads, and he's got a very good defensive game, and he kind of is patient and he waits it out and he lets uh, he lets his opponent sh- uh, you know show him what they are going to do and he builds his game as the rounds go on and the later you are into a fight with Piotr Jan the worse it is for you um and that's been pretty much consistent well, except if for Sean O'Malley if Sean o- well yeah well Aljamain lost the last two rounds even in the fight that he won but it wasn't a blitz out. It, it wasn't like we normally see. That's with, true. With That's true. Piotr Jan. Um, if Sean O'Malley wins this fight, it's because he does something that 
Piotr Jan has never seen before and sparks him clean in the first round. And he's totally capable of doing that. Sean O'Malley has, he's got that, it, you, you mentioned how Sean Brady has weird strength. Sean O'Malley has weird power. It it comes from his technique. He lands perfectly. And he puts dudes totally out like nothing I've ever seen. But unless he does that in the first two minutes, it's going to be a long night for Sean O'Malley. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think this is it's such a significant jump in the talent and the caliber fighter that, that he's faced before. I don't think he's ready to be no. completely candid with you. Uh, and he's, he's so reliant. I haven't seen anything from him that would suggest that he is in a position to really take on a world-class uh, MMA guy, right? Because Peter Yan has it all. He's got good wrestling, good takedowns. He's fast. He's got really, really good boxing. He's got knockout power. Uh, and he's really good at putting on pressure. You know, he doesn't fade. He's, he's always going to be in, 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 in uh, O'Malley's face. That being said, I agree with the things that you said about O'Malley. The fact that he's got maybe the fastest hands, uh, not necessarily in combinations, but on an individual strike basis, I've seen in, in the UFC. Uh, his creativity is so good that he ends up um, almost snake charming his opponents. Right. Yeah. Where they get they get almost lost in the fact that he's he's not doing very much. And all of a sudden, you know, he does a heel uh, heel hook kick or not heel hook kick, but a, a, a hook kick or a spinning back kick. Or he does something that's so creative and so outrageous. Uh, but again, he's so dependent on space at that point. Uh, and that's where I, I don't see him getting the win because of, because of that. Um, I think that Piotr Jan is so good and brilliant at getting on the inside and causing you to you know, uh, abandon your game plan because you're constantly dealing with the different types of attacks, whether it's leg kicks, uh, punches to the, to the body, to the head, mixing it up, getting in the clinch, pushing off, getting a takedown. I, I, I think that uh, uh, O'Malley's going to have a hard time with that. And also, who has O'Malley fought that's been in the top 15? Nobody. Nobody. Oh, uh, Cheeto Vera. Yeah, not at the time, though. Not at the time. <laughs> yeah, not at the time. But we so, all saw how that went. Yeah, we saw how that went. I mean, it was a great fight, and you know, hats off to O'Malley. But uh, this is another example, just like we talked about Bilal Muhammad versus Sean Brady, where we have someone that's never fought someone in the top 15, and I think we can go parlay that right in. So just, to, just so we can lock this in, what's your bet on this? I'm going to say Piotr Jan finishes him in round three by TKO. So I think that Piotr Jan is going to uh, take this to decision. That's what I think is going to happen. I haven't seen mm-hmm. either of these guys knocked out ever. So, All right, next fight. Aljamain Sterling versus TJ Dillashaw. Aljamain Sterling is minus 175. TJ Dillashaw plus 150. Your thoughts? Um, Man, okay, so... Here's what it comes down to for me is what shape is TJ Dillashaw in post uh, EPO ban um, after his two years away. And then also um, he had to have uh, knee surgery after his comeback fight against Corey Sandhagen. Um, he 
tore something in his his knee in like the first round, or rather Sandhagen did um, with a, a leg entanglement, tore something in his knee, and then he fought the rest of the four rounds on one leg um, and then had to have surgery immediately after. So what I don't know is what shape TJ Dillashaw is going to be in. I'm going to have to operate off the assumption that he is every bit the fighter that I have seen him be. And if he is that fighter, he beats Aljamain Sterling. I think I I like that Sterling switches his stances on the feet. Um, I, I think he's got good strike. I think he's a very talented striker. Um, I think he moves around really well. Um, but Sterling's bread and butter is his grappling. He's... Um, He's a credentialed wrestler, and he's got really, really good jujitsu. That's how he beat Piotr Jan in his first title defense. Controlled Jan on the back, and um, and Jan wasn't able to to worm his way out of it. He was he was stuck. Um, a couple of things that I thought or that I saw while I was while I was watching film for this, um, I took notes and I saw uh, Sterling was one for seventeen on takedown attempts in the first Piotr Jan fight, and then he was two for 22 in the second. Is this five um, or three? These are This is a five-round title defense. Okay. okay. So he only got two takedowns in his first defense against Jan, and when he got him, he held, he held Jan down for the rest of the round, basically, and Jan couldn't get out of that back tr- uh, body lock. Um, and get uh, Sterling off his back until the round was over. I just don't see TJ getting stuck in that same scenario. TJ's a really credentialed wrestler in his own right. I think he's got much better takedown defense. Um, and I, 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 when I see two for 22, that does not inspire confidence that Aljamain is going to be able to dictate where this fight takes place. And I think it's going to be... In, it's going to be Dillashaw's world on the feet and and his striking and his movement and um, his grinding pressure and his pace are deadly. Um, we've seen Sterling work at an incredible rate and then start to slow down in the later rounds. Um, and assuming TJ's got his gas tank that he's shown in every other fight, um, I think he's going to wear Sterling down um, and he... Well, he might even get a finish in the fifth round. So you're going with with TJ on this one, uh, TJ. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go the other way. I'm going with Sterling. Uh, I think oh, yeah. Sterling has shown a tremendous amount of growth and development since his loss uh, to Piotr Jan before his his last fight. Uh, you know, you're talking about things like cardio and grappling, and and and, and I think that's great. But what was the drug that he was taking, TJ? EPO. EPO. Which is designed to? Um, I think it increases the oxygen content in your blood. Increases your cardio. Correct. Right? So when we saw TJ Dillashaw in his absolute prime, he was taking one of the most egregious performance-enhancing substances, EPO, in order to increase his cardio. Okay. Now you're right. He does. He's got very credentialed grappling. He's got very uh, good striking. You know his his work with I forget the guy's name offhand. Dwayne Ludwig. With yeah, Dwayne with Dwayne, Ludwig. Dwayne Bang Ludwig. Ludwig uh, has has really really improved. 
that being any, you know, and Dwayne always has a really good game plan going in. But with TJ Dillashaw, when I saw him in his last fight versus, um, what's his name? You just said Corey Sanhagen. With Sanhagen. He won that via split decision. He -hmm. looked okay. He did not look like the TJ Dillashaw of four years ago. Not even close. And then we do the same thing. I know Styles make fight, but Aljamain Sterling, you know, he he pretty much handled uh, uh, Sanhagen, right? You know, so we have that as 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 like a compare and contrast. T.J. Dillashaw is shorter. He's 36 years old. I said at you know north of 35. That's when you start to lose cardio, speed, power. May not be all those, but he's also going to be extremely rigorously trusted by uh, Usada to make sure he's not doping going into this. And so I, I have a hard time seeing how he's going to take on the champion of the world without those performance-enhancing advantages that he had when he showed it in his prime because he has not looked like the same person since coming back. Not even close. Not even the same you know, spectrum, in my opinion, personally. He's getting a little bit older. Uh, I think that the, 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 the grappling is going to somewhat nullify and uh, I think there's going to be a lot of fighting on the feet, but you know, Aljamain Sterling's got a lot of kicks. He can keep him away from him, and if he does get too close, unlike a lot of the other competition that TJ Dillashaw has, fo- has fought before, if he gets too close on the blitzes, he's going to get taken down because there's going to be some gaps there. He's got good footwork, though. So I'm going to go with Aljamain Sterling. We're butting up on our half an hour, so we're going to jump right into this one. The main event, the one everyone's talking about, the one we've wanted to see, uh, in my opinion, for the last 12 months, Charles Oliveira to Bronx versus Islam Makhachev. Your thoughts, Buck? Man, um, this one was very tough. And uh, both of these guys are incredibly uh, well-known and for their grappling. They have Charles Oliveira has, of course, the most submissions in UFC history. I think he's also got the most finishes total in UFC history. Yep, yep. Charles Oliveira, uh, sorry, Mahachev, of course, comes from uh, Eagle MMA in Dagestan, trains with Khabib, trains at AKA with um, Javier Mendez and Cormier. Daniel Cormier. Yeah. Um, uh, what I think this is going to come down to is right off the bat, I think we're going to see how this fight goes. And I think it's going to be who can make the other fighter go backwards first. And Islam Mahashev applies really good pressure. Um, he strikes well. Um, he's a very competent striker and he's, um, He's been lauded as a better striker than Khabib. Um, but the purpose of that striking, and I think the he gets that striking um, accolade because there is this looming threat of his takedowns. I think that was um, really beneficial for Khabib as well. Um, the sure. threat of being taken down stops um, a lot of incoming offense and gives him a lot more time to put on his own pressure and back his opponent up against the cage. Um, That works against Dan Hooker. That works against Bobby Green. That works against... um, That works against, you know, guys outside of the top 15. But Charles Oliveira is an avalanche, and he never stops. From the very second the fight starts, he goes straight forward. Jumping front kicks, huge knees, 
big looping punches, clean counter shots. I don't see Islam Mahashev fighting off the back foot in a way that is going to take Charles Oliveira out of his game. I don't think Charles is going to get intimidated by his takedowns. Um, you know, because the last time Oliveira lost was against Paul Felder, um, and it was ground and pound, basically, against the side of the cage. Um, and that's exactly what Mahashev is going to want to do. What was that 2018? 2017 or something like yeah. that. It's been yeah. a while. Um, but I think if Charles Oliveira takes the fight to Mahashev right out of the gate, charges him, puts that really violent pressure on him right out the gate even if he gets taken down he gets taken down in the center of the cage and that's going to be a lot better of a position for Oliveira. i think he's um like gamrot he is always working to get off of his back um he doesn't have a ton of submissions off his back but he does a really smart thing that i like where he is always threatening purely to get a reaction out of out of his opponent so he can start to uh, initiate a scramble. He jumps on legs. He'll grab a heel. He'll throw up a triangle. He'll threaten an arm bar. And all of that is in service of getting his opponent to lift his weight off of him so that he can start to scramble and change the dynamics of that grappling exchange. He wants the back. He wants the front headlock. And... Um, when I was watching uh, Islam Hashev against Armand Sarukian, who we talked about earlier, Dan Hardy, or I think it was Dan Hardy on the commentary, mentioned that Islam gets his head caught in guillotines frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, he got caught against Sarukian, and he got caught against Nick Lentz when they fought and a Chris couple Wade, of times. Chris Wade almost put him out. He right. rolled out of it. Chris Wade's right. not a name. There's a reason you don't know that name, everybody. Because you never heard of him. Yeah, I think, yes, he got out of all of those guillotines, but those guillotines weren't put on by the man who's submitted more people than anybody else in UFC history. Um, Khabib got caught in guillotines, too. They lead with their head. They do it so that when they're they're shooting their takedowns, their head is outside and they don't get caught by knees coming up the middle. It's a good choice. Um, And they've been able to reliably get out of those guillotines in the past. But that is going to be a huge risk against Charles Oliveira. And if he, if Charles cracks you when he's charging forward and he's putting on that avalanche of pressure and Islam gets buzzed and has to shoot for a takedown to get some relief from the, the striking pressure, I don't think he's going to shoot the best takedown he's ever shot. And I think that's going to make uh, for a quick night. So you think it's gonna you think it's gonna end early? Charles Oliveira, yeah. Okay. Round one. Whoa! Wow! God, that's aggressive. I like I, it. Well, I, 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 it's got to be round one. I, he's got to go forward, and he can't let Mahashev have his game and build his pressure. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it has to be round one because look at look at Gaethje, look at Chandler. Those both those ones are round two. Gaethje uh, was uh, Gaethje was three minutes. I think it was the first round. Was he? Oh yeah. no! Yeah, I'm thinking. Okay, I'm thinking of Chandler, Gaethje, Poirier. Yeah, Poirier. There you go. Uh, yeah. You're okay. Right. So here, here's my thoughts on this one. I'll try to make yeah. this pretty quick. So Islam has been billed as the coming of the as, as the next Khabib. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know, he was, they've been training partners for many, many years. Uh, Khabib's dad trained Islam as well. Uh, I could sense some jealousy with Khabib because his dad always, you know, basically preferred, not preferred, but, uh, you know, always treated Islam as the next champion. So there's something to be said for that because if, if there's anything I've seen out of that group is those guys produce winners after, you know, winner after winner. Uh, Khabib's biggest asset, you know, besides his strength and his grappling is, is the one technique that he had after the takedown was that Dagestani honk handcuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing I see Islam implementing quite a bit, but he's not, he's not a good at, at controlling the, the Dagestani handcuff up against the cage, pinning him down, improving his position, ground and pounding and submitting or, you know, whatever it is. Uh, or holding him down further. I think that there's going to be some significant problems. Now, I don't agree with you on the point that that Oliveira is going to have to come out and and move forward this whole time. So here's an interesting stat. Of his 16 submissions, only four of them came from him doing the takedown. So mm-hmm. that means, you know, the majority of the time, he's completely okay with someone taking him down and getting the submission. I oftentimes see Islam drive into the cage uh, and do this inside leg trip, dump him off to the side, and that's where he actually almost got submitted by a no-name, which was with, with Chris Wade. Uh, he rolled out of the one just fine, but I think that Oliver is another beast. So if we get to the point in the second or third round where Makachev is not able to, to he, he's able to take down Oliveira, but because of his chain, submission, chain submissions, uh, ability to dictate, uh, you know, w- with sweeps and 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 keep on moving, grabbing his legs, rolling through, et cetera, et cetera. I think there's going to be more hesitancy for Islam, and he's going to have to start throwing bigger shots, trying to open it up to get in there, uh, to get a really, you know, get a deep double leg to get on top or try and get side control from a takedown. And I think the more that happens, the more dangerous it's going to be. Now, if we look at the the, the stand up on both these guys, uh, I believe that Oliveira is a significantly better stand up striker and kickboxer than Islam uh, Mahakachev or Makachev. I call him Makachev. You can call him whatever you want. But uh, I, 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 I've always wanted Islam to be the champion because I've invested heavily in his UFC cards. But uh, unfortunately, he's coming at a time right now where he's up against someone that is that has blossomed into a pound-for-pound. Pound. And um, I think that his biggest strengths are going to be nullified somewhat by Oliveira's biggest strengths. And Oliveira's been there, done that. He's fought everyone in the... the you know why they're fighting? Because, you know, uh, uh, Mahakiv hasn't really fought anybody in the top 10. Do you know why they're fighting? Because Charles beat everyone else. Because he beat everybody. Because yeah. he beat everybody. So now, I think a lot of the... I think a lot of the, the glitz and glamour behind Islam is the fact that he's so closely associated with Khabib and everyone wants there to be the next Khabib. I got news for you. Khabib was a once in a generation talent. And I don't see anybody, you know, uh, in the near future coming anywhere close to what he was able to do and capable of doing, especially in the bright lights at that exact moment. Uh, He was a force and we all want to recapture that lightning in a bottle, but I don't think it's Islam this weekend, maybe in a couple years, maybe not. He's, He's he's not Khabib, guys. He's just not. Khabib was the best. I think Khabib was probably the best to ever do it, in my opinion. Him, John Jones, uh, uh, GSP, kind of the best guys to ever do it. So I think it's going to be hard to compete against that. It's hard to come in under that shadow 
and and perform like Khabib would have. And by the way, Khabib has said in the past, passing, I don't know if it's true anymore, that if there's one thing that would get him out of retirement fight is if Charles Oliveira beat Islam Makhachev or Makhachev, that he would want to come back and possibly fight uh, Oliveira. How fucking sick would that be? You're That'd kidding be me. A pretty cool fight, I tell you what. Jesus. Yeah. So I'd pay the pay-per-view for that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. All right, so if we don't include introductions and everything like that, we're pretty close to hitting 30 minutes, but we, we did uh, a little bit over it. So um, that being said, uh, what are your plans this weekend, Buck? You got a wedding? I am. I'm going to a wedding, and I'm so thankful that the fights are showing early this, this weekend. I'm just going to huddle in my hotel room and watch them. Uh, on my iPad, and I'm going to be hooting and hollering, and I'm going to disturb everybody around uh, in all the other rooms, and I won't open the door and tell them why. I'm hoping that, uh, I'm an exact opposite, I'm hoping that they never ever make this card this time again, because this is absolutely destroying the night that I had planned, because all the people I know that are going to be watching it or betting on it, and they're going to have the results, so uh, anyway, I hope the UFC, if you're listening to this, Dana, I hope you learned your lesson. I'm not sure you are, though. Uh, that being said, really appreciate you being on again, joining us. You know, to go over this fight, one of the best cards I've ever seen on paper. Let's let's hope it lives up to its expectation. And with that being said, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Enjoy the fights, and we'll talk to you during the next big UFC card. Over and out. Take care, everyone.